Welcome to This Is Real Life with Jen Blossom, where we talk all things that make us most uncomfortable, from abuse to addiction and trauma to recovery, nothing is off limits. My guests and I will expose the parts of ourselves that hold the most pain and share the freedom that is possible. This is Real Life. Okay, welcome to This Is Real Life with Jen Blossom and my new friend, Kara. She um, and I met uh, kind of in a support group, actually, um, because we both come from backgrounds where we've been, you know, emotionally abused by narcissists. So without further ado, Kara, if you want to introduce yourself. Uh, sure. My name is Kara Buckley. I am an online writer and editor for the website Thread of Truth, uh, where I essentially review movies from the point of view, mainly as an abuse victim. That's awesome. Um, would you say that's like your creative outlet? It is, yeah. Yeah, I find that people like us, we really need to have something of our own. Um, you know, Kara's story is interesting because, um, and I think that if you've listened to my previous podcasts about narcissism and different personality disorders, there are basically different roles that people play within the system of these toxic people. And sometimes those roles change. And so I think that Kara's story is really cool because it, um, kind of gives us examples of how that is. Um, and also it's interesting because Kara was adopted. Um, so if we want to, and I mean, that in itself is, can be very traumatic. So I guess <laughs> we can just kind of start there. Kara, you were adopted. How old were you? I was 11 months old when my mother died. Um, and and your mother uh, immediately transferred over into my, my current family after that. Right. So I remember from our previous interview that, um, it, and you have a, you have a brother as well that was also adopted. Yes. Yes. And he how was, old is he? He was how two old and was a half. He? he was two and a half. So he, he would have, half. does he have any memories of your mother? Images more than memories. Got it. Got it. So from our conversations before, your mother, um, she passed of breast cancer, your biological mm -hmm. mother did, um, when you were 11 months old. And she had had a conversation with the um, woman who adopted you, which was her sister-in-law. Sister-in-law, yes. Yeah. Um, and that she would take on you and your brother in addition to her own children, correct? Yes. Um, and when your mom passes away, it was interesting because your father, your biological father left as well. Yes, he did. Uh, he, from the few stories that I've gotten, he, what he had done was just didn't want to handle the stress and the medical bills and the expense of it all. He didn't really seem to care about mm -hmm. the welfare of his family. He just cared about how the illnesses 
would affect him financially. And one day he decided, I don't have to do this anymore. So he walked away. Wow. I mean, that yeah. in itself is traumatic. Um, have traumatic. you have you seen him or did have you ever met him? Did you ever get in contact with him? I did. I reached out to him about a year ago. Just, oh, wow. Um, just to meet him. I was more curious about the things that I have in common with him and what I inherited from yeah, him genetically, in from terms him. of medical and personality. And it turns out that I have <laughs> more in common with him than I do with most of the family that raised me. It's so That's bizarre. So that is bizarre because yeah. you never knew him and he was never a part of your life. And it ends up yeah. that you are, yeah, that's, that's definitely a, a awesome case for genetics. Um, so, so you, um, it starts off though, that your stepmother or your, your adopted mother, who is your, um, what your aunt, it would be your, my aunt by marriage, aunt by marriage. Um, Mm -hmm. she never, she and, um, your uncle never legally adopted you guys because of the social security benefits, correct? From your mother? Yes. So money, it sounds like was kind of an issue, but I guess your mom, before she passed, made sure that if, you know, you needed anything that the social security would help. Yeah, of course. She took care of everything before she died. She left a very extensive will, uh, detailing, uh, mainly where my brother and I uh, would end up bef- before she died and just Got making it. sure that we would be taken care of. And then, um, so what, do you remember those early years? Like how many other kids did they have? Like what, what are your, I mean, you obviously didn't even really know. You, I mean, when you're a kid, you don't know that you're adopted when you're just like little running around, right? Like yeah. were those good times? Were those, like what are your memories from your early childhood? Uh, for the most part, they were good. I can't remember a time where I didn't know I was adopted. It, the reveal of that uh, must have been so early. I have no memory of it. I just always knew I was um, adopted and that my mother had died from breast cancer. That was never kept from me. Okay. Um, but they had uh, other children, correct? Oh, yeah. I was one of seven. One of seven. Okay. And <laughs> then, family. yeah, I, right. And, um, so, and your, your adopted mother and father were actually a part of the church. Yeah. They were both pastors. Which and, makes sense to me why it was so important that you would continue to get the social security benefits because, you know, you're not making a ton of money if you're both pastors and you have seven uh, yeah. kids, right? Yeah. yeah it's, um, um, kind of, a miracle how how large pastoral families even make it through. It is. It's because crazy. Because you would think that, yeah, it just wouldn't be possible. It's so bizarre. Did So growing up, um, you guys had a, like a normal childhood where all the kids happy? Like all seven of you were happy-go-lucky, easy, everything was hunky-dory, perfect? Not perfect. But in my mind, since I didn't know what was really going on at the time I just right. thought of it as I attributed it to other things 
um, middle child, which I was, pastor's kid. Money was always tight and stressful. My parents bought a lot. Um, I mean, well, and that would be confusing. Yeah. I was a pastor's kid, so it's confusing to see your parents fight and then at the mm -hmm. same time go preach like forgiveness and compassion and oh, peace yeah. and joy, right? Of course, of course. Um, um, and then do you, what are your memories of your brothers and sisters? Did you guys get along as early ki as, as kids when you guys were little? Yeah, yeah. Um, I did feel a lot like the outsider. I was left out of a lot of things. Um, you know, it, it wasn't, mom used to say it was a matter of safety that we couldn't go too far away from the house. But there were times when, you know, the other kids would and I would be left behind. So that was often very confusing. So you were the one who was always following the directions. Yeah. Sounds like you were really trying your best to please her. Yeah, yeah, I just didn't want to be a burden because with that initial trauma, you know, mm -hmm. it was always in the back of my mind, who's going to leave me next because I was a financial burden, you know, that was. I mean, <laughs> to even think that from, I mean, yeah. my heart breaks for that little girl in you because to just feel like a burden is an awful feeling. I mean. I can see how you would just try to be the perfect kid, never wanting to give anyone a reason to leave. Yeah, yeah, which is 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 very common in um, in cases of child abuse and neglect. Is the child just behaves the best they can, assuming that it's their behavior that triggers the abuse, when in actuality it's the parents' craziness, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. So then you, the next thing um, that we wanted to get to was the fact that your pastor mom and pastor dad actually ends up getting a divorce. Yeah. That was uh, my freshman year of high school. I was 14. Um, and then one day, it just mom rounded up all of the minor kids in the house and sat us down at a took us to another friend's house who was also a pastor, kind of sat us down and explained to us with that friend that they were getting a divorce and that it was her goal and her mission to make sure that we all stay together. And that was kind of the beginning of, of the uh, more obvious and disturbing attributes of our relationship, this cultish idea of family coming first. And that's mm -hmm. kind of where it began with the divorce. Dad was leaving. <laughs> my second father in my life was leaving. I didn't really know why. And all I knew is what I was being told, which was that we all had to fight to stay together. Mm-hmm. And would you have rather gone with him? I sometimes think back and wonder. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. I I think I would have rather stayed still because then at least then I would have, you know, stayed with my brothers and sisters. Yeah. Now, did, did you ever find out why they divorced? Why she was so adamant about leaving? Money. Him? Money. It always wow, falls back to money. 
Okay. And do you believe that? I mean, that's so interesting that all of a sudden it's like she's had enough and the money issues are more important than her like mm -hmm. promise to marriage. Yeah. Yeah. As an adult um, who's been through a lot of therapy, I can now look back at somebody who decides one day that money is more important than her commitment to her husband and her family, that that would be like a character flaw. That would be like an initial like, hmm, that doesn't sound right for somebody. So for me, I'm thinking, well, what else was going on? Like, um, or was she just so far into her own delusions that she decides that she doesn't want to be with him? You know what I'm saying? Have you ever really thought about that? I, I have. Um, I, I don't have a lot of information and that's kind of my problem is it, it's hard to really come up with ideas of what really happened without enough information. So I'm just going off of what I've heard them both say later on. And, right. and the only commonality between the reason they divorced was money. Interesting. Oh, different stories. Yeah, that sounds just, crazy. You know, that one commonality. It's some, yeah. I mean, for her to, I mean, we talked about how she literally annihilated him, yeah. right? Like emotionally, mm -hmm. she just murdered his like soul, his joy, his everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's so interesting that she would do that over money. Like she, it sounds like she had such disgust for him, such, you know that she would do that. I just wonder what else was going on. That's something to definitely um, chat about in therapy. I know that you're um, currently in therapy too, which is amazing. And I think that so much healing will come from that. I hope so. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, and it's just, it's really sad because, well, I think we'll get to that later, but um, you know, he, he, he moved away and, and now you're stuck with this, that this woman mm -hmm. who, you know, isn't, the nicest lady, you know, and it's in, I also want to just kind of remind you that it's hard to trust your own intuition when you've been made to question it your whole life. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of things are hard to come to conclusion with because there are just certain things you don't want to believe and certain things that you've blocked out and certain dissociations and that kind oh, yeah, of thing. So sure. I think that, I think that everything will get clearer, mm -hmm. but I'm just, I'm really happy that you've decided to share your story yeah. with all of us so that we can kind of get a better look at someone's life like this. So, um, okay. So we are now in, um, senior year of high school and the social security dries up. Yeah. So now you're 18 and I wonder what your mom's going to do now if finances is such a big deal. Um, well, uh, between 18 and graduation, there was a, about a four month gap because I turned 18 in February. Graduation was in June. It didn't so much dry up as it went directly to me because I was an adult. But since I was still in high school, um, it was going to continue until I graduated. So I had four months worth of social security benefits that were coming directly to me. And I was trying to save that because college was coming up and I needed money. So, 
and she didn't like um, that. Well, she was on board. I don't think she had much of a choice. Um, but that was around the time where she started putting me into therapy and just kind of this idea sprang up in her mind. Like, what else can I do to get another source of finance out of, out of this adopted child? So um, what she did was decided the easiest diagnosis to, to, do to, um, to, to put on me was Asperger's. So she started taking me to a psychiatrist to kind of manipulate a diagnosis out of him, put me on medication I didn't need so she would get a paper trail going where she could eventually um, start collecting disability in my name. And so between that February and that June, I was kind of the victim of this onslaught of of her her obsession and she was tearing me down every chance she could just trying to convince me this is wrong with you this has to be wrong with and you. had she ever mentioned had she ever mentioned that she thought that there were issues with you before oh, this no 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 <laughs> it it was so sudden it just caught me completely off guard, which is why it was so easy for me to question it. Just. Um, okay. And then my other question is this, um, were there anybody of the seven, right? Who of the seven kids who was mistreated by her or was everybody treated so beautifully by her? Um, I, I did see her treating other, her other children very awfully. It's, um, a lot of the mistreatment of my other siblings happened before she she targeted me. So, like, kind of throughout my childhood, there would be these stages of where she would just kind of target one of the children until she came up with another reason to target another. And by the time I turned 18, I guess it was just my turn. Mm. Yeah, I mean, especially because you were one of the youngest, yeah. right? And I was just so afraid right, so of at her. At that point, and her her anger. Well, and they they probably weren't all living at the house anymore, yeah. so the, what they weren't like as, as, oh, yeah. as easily accessible. By the time I turned eighteen, it was just <laughs> me, my younger sister, and my younger brother. The other four were out. Yeah, they wanted to get yeah, out, I'm sure they which did. is so typical of abusive mm -hmm. families: is that once the child turns eighteen, they're out of there. Um, but that's the sad part is that then the smaller ones become the yeah. victims. Um, so, sh so then she started going crazy and making sure that she could prove that you were mentally unstable mm -hmm. and, you know, that you shouldn't get a driver's license and you, um, you mentioned she didn't even want you to go to college because, I mean, if, if you left <laughs> and you were able to drive, you could get away, yeah. um, so that was her way of controlling. Yeah, and it would also is, wouldn't look good for a case if I had graduated college and I was a safe and capable driver. That that doesn't look good for right. her. That's right. So I on our timeline, it talks about how you did actually reconnect with your father. Uh, yes, yes. During um, college. During college, 
And to specify with your adoptive, adoptive father. father during college because yeah. he was living in Southern, Cal- uh, Southern Oregon at the time. And my college was in Northern California. So we were only a few hours away from each other. So had you not spoken to him since he left? Off and on, only when mom would allow it. Okay. Just kind of on the phone. Oh, I we were mainly alienated from him until I turned 18. And it was my choice to reconnect. Got it. And so how was it when you reconnected? It was, I, it was my relationship with him became better than I'd ever had with him before. Um, I think because he was under a lot of pressure being married to my mom and just kind of being her, um, not just her enabler, but kind of her advocate. So with that dynamic out of the way, I could actually see my dad for the first time, like who his best Mm -hmm. self. Yeah. Um, And what was his best self? Like he did, what, what was he doing at the time? Like, did he, was he behaving like more freely? Was Was he happier? Like completely free. He was um, just involved in so many great projects in Oregon. Um, He wasn't preaching anymore. I think he had lost his ordainment during uh, mom's kind of attack on him during the divorce Mm -hmm. because she went after him in other legal ways um but Mm. he he was still working really hard and doing what he loved he was a lot happier a lot more engaged and he was never judgmental he was always open and accepting and loving Mm. and that was a side of would you say that i'd ever seen before yeah isn't that interesting (laughs) i remember um my father doing the same thing there was parts of him that were so kind and compassionate, mm-hmm. you know, but it was never when she was around, yeah. you know, when she was around, it was like he had to be stoic and hate us as much <laughs> as she did, you know, Yeah, it's, it's awful. It's awful, it's awful yeah. but it's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you did graduate did. and you. I'm actually the only completely... one out of the seven to graduate in tradition, the traditional four year time span. The, all the others took longer. I think I worked harder yeah, because the, I had something uh, to prove. Yeah, totally. So did you ever, did she ever get the disability? Did that ever work no, out for her? I wouldn't let her. Okay. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> oh she my hated gosh. me. Um, so I'm sure she did. I wonder who became her next uh, victim uh, as you grew I up. I think it was uh, my younger sister after I left for college. I think she turned her eyes so on. Sad. Who was who later became the golden child and remained the golden child until she died? Yeah, but um, gosh, yeah. that's how that's how it happens. Yeah, she, Everybody yeah. plays a role. So, you you um you did get your driver's license. You graduated college. You unfortunately struggled to get a job because the economy was yeah, awful. I graduated uh, in you know. two thousand and eight, just as the economy crashed, and there were no jobs for. Right college graduates with no experience the culture yeah, changed. that was rough man and unless you know someone totally. or you have the experience you can't get a job right um and interestingly enough your mom also had some um financial struggles at the time oh yeah yeah she got involved in a pyramid scheme 
Um, that company mm. went bankrupt. She went bankrupt, lost her house. And of course, she quit a good, stable job in order to be a part of this pyramid scheme. So she didn't have a backup um, income or any of the old man, benefits. Money, money was her crutch, <laughs> man. It sounds like yeah. all she cared about yeah, was money. Yeah, she saw this, this and then at the end, business structure, which looked amazing to her. Of course, any person with common sense knows you avoid pyramid schemes. They never. Mm-hmm. They, they, they're not stable structures, but all she was saw was the potential for, yeah, for money. She yeah. got hook, line, and sinker yeah. right there. <laughs> um, but at that time, she w- why did she start promising you legal adoption? I don't know why she promised. I think she knew I was. Re- I resented her for it, so she would just throw me an occasional promise just to make sh- make sure I wouldn't um, get too upset that I would start telling people about it because that was that's a narcissist like biggest fear it's their primary fear exposure and I wasn't afraid 100%. to tell people what was going on with me right well here we are yeah here we are now yeah. um Oh yeah, they do not like people seeing them for who they yeah. are, and they will, they will trash talk you until <laughs> until the day the day is over, yeah. right? I mean, they will not stop. It's called a smear campaign, uh-huh. yeah. Um, where they literally find if you say one little thing or start to expose them, they will go crazy trying to make you look out to be the crazy oh, one. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So okay, so you um. Did you did you um, move back home then to help her because she didn't have a job? Like she was homeless. Like what happened well, at that, that point? At that point, I had nowhere else to go because I couldn't get a job. I was, you know, I had all this financial, all these student loans. I would eventually have to start paying back. So, like, right. there was, I really didn't have another option. Of course, she was thrilled about it because here's his again, quote unquote, mentally challenged daughter who can't even get a job. Oh, yeah. Why can't she get a job? She's not trying hard enough. Something's wrong with her. And that's what she was Um, telling people behind my back. She turned all my siblings against me. Yeah, they love to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, but you did connect at that point with an old college friend. Oh, yeah. We never never got remained. Gosh, I'm out of words. <laughs> uh, we we were never out of contact. I just, you know, just stayed in contact with him. He was like the one person who really listened and believed me and cared. So was, he was like that one. He's like your angel, the one who heard you and listened to you and validated you and loved on you. And yeah, it sounds to me like he. He really is. It was really easy to talk to. Yeah. And he and you became engaged. Yeah. He he was really worried. So he agreed <laughs> maybe a marriage would be the best way to pull me out in a legal way. Um, and just he would find a way to take care of me himself. That's definitely... Uh, 
a love, <laughs> a, a deep, deep love. That is um, amazing and incredible. And I'm so grateful that you had someone like him. Um, and yeah, so you guys, you know, got engaged. And at that point, unfortunately, I think that when you, you know, when you became engaged and your mother found mm-hmm. out that, you know, she would no longer have control over you, there was this event in your life that you call the great betrayal. Um, and it makes sense to me that it would happen now after you finally gotten, you know, yeah, a commitment that you would no longer be hers to torture. Yeah. So what was that event? Um, well, the, uh, it was ties into the biggest regret of my life, which was family Christmas, because when family comes first, you have to attend family events. There is no, no saying no. So when I had left my dad's house to attend this event, that was when I had announced I was engaged and they became desperate. That was like their, their scramble to keep control and to make sure that I wasn't talking. So Mm -hmm. they dug in, um, they hacked my Facebook page first and read all of the exchanges I was having with my husband. Mm -hmm. And then they found my journal and they read it through, like all the way through. So I had... Yeah, and they... So it doesn't sound like they, it doesn't sound like they loved everything you wrote about because I was right. I wasn't holding back in my journal. I had learned, um, I think I started journaling back in high school. I think when I was a junior or senior, um, because paper doesn't talk back and everyone else did. So it was just Mm. one way I could easily and safely express myself, or at least I thought it was safe. Yeah, but it wasn't because Mm -hmm. then your mother went and showed everybody your journal and then they drove around to everyone in the family in a, in like a hundred mile radius, showed it to them. And then they called other family members and talked to them about it and the next day, I they were driving me to a mental facility to have me committed because they. Yeah, that sounds. I don't know if they really so saw painful. it that way or if they were just trying to twist it that way, but they thought I was dangerous because of what I wrote. Well, what I do know about narciss um, a narcissist is the other people have to play her game Mm -hmm. or they become the next scapegoat. So at that point, all the brothers and sisters felt safe because you were the target, which meant they had to go along with it so that mom wouldn't get on their case, Mm -hmm. right? It became like, let's gang up. So, um, but were you committed? No, they laughed me out of there. I even showed them the journal and they read it through and they, they, you know, read my words and how I felt. And she flat out told me, I'll never forget it. Sounds like your mom is the one with the problem. And they laughed me out of there. 
Yeah. And by the end of yeah. the day, I was on a bus home and I, I was determined never to go back again. So where you say bus home, where was that? Home at the time before the wedding and I would move in with my husband was with my dad in Oregon. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, but your mom didn't stop torturing you then because she started using your name. Mm-hmm to buy, buy, buy things, correct? Oh, well, that was kind of coinciding with what had happened before my engagement, actually. Um, there was a credit card in my name. I lent it to mm. her once on the promise that she would pay me back so she could buy a plane ticket to visit her golden child in Africa. Um, but when I got the, the bill, uh, like a whole lot of other purchases had been made, like unnecessary purchases that I didn't agree to. And even still on the promise that she would pay me back. And I only got maybe half of that balance out of her over a period of time. And then after mm-hmm. the great betrayal and I was completely ostracized, she didn't feel the need to really pay me back any more of that. So that card went to collection and I had no way to pay it back. It's crazy how, um, so it's so, it's so interesting that she would borrow your Mm -hmm. money and not the money of any of the other kids. Because you don't say no to a narcissist. If you say no to a narcissist, you you incur the wrath of Zeus. A hundred percent. So, well, tell me about your wedding because that was, <gasps> oh my gosh, your your anniversary is in it two is. days. Yes, it is. Oh my Nine gosh. Years. Happy anniversary. Um, but you're, yeah, so you got married in 2011 mm-hmm. and the whole family attended? They essentially paid for the whole thing. It was the weirdest thing. It was like they kind of knew. I think deep down they knew Um, my husband and I wanted to just um, get married in a courthouse, make it real cheap, get it over with and just start our married life. They didn't want that. So they offered to pay for the whole thing, plan the whole thing. And all we had to Mm, do was show up. That sounds like, that sounds like a control thing, right? Like I'm going to pay for it, but I'm going to plan it. Well, I didn't really care. I didn't care about any of the plans because at the end of the day, I just wanted to be married. I wasn't picky. Who was it? Who was this a big wedding? Like who all showed up? Her friends? No, not really. Um, I did have control over the guest list, although she, she did criticize me for it because I didn't invite enough people. I wanted to keep it small. Um, I did Mm -hmm. get a lot of fight back on the things I did have control over, but I wasn't really backing down and I didn't really care. So, um, yeah, but they still paid for it. My brother, my oldest brother cooked my golden child sister baked the cake. Um, wow. My older sister, she paid for the tables and chairs. Just everyone. Wow. I wonder why we got married in my uncle's backyard. So we kept it cheap. And, you know, love. But was it, so did, was it a good day? I mean, was that? It, the, the day of the wedding was basically more for her than for me. 
she wanted to put on right. a show. Let's be honest. She put yes. on a show. She actually initiated. So the whole thing was really more about her. And I could tell by her speech that she wanted to make it about her. Um, but Oh, it all. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was a mm-hmm. show and she wanted to show yeah. the world that in spite of everything, that she was a good mom, that she was supportive yeah. of our marriage and she was a good mom. And she just, you know, um, wanted yeah. to welcome my husband into the family. <laughs> yeah. Which he was like, get me yeah, out of here. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it's like, I don't want to be. A- Whatever. I was married by the end of the day yeah. and things would change. That's all I cared about. Um, and so you got married uh-huh. and you moved in with your husband uh-huh. and. Yeah. Um, I would have to assume that it was great to be away. Yeah, I was making a lot of new friends. Um, I got a job probably within four months. So it was great mm-hmm. to have a job. It was so great yeah. to have a job finally. You know? yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and especially because it's like this woman who's telling you all the things that you are mm-hmm. and to to actually be able to say, actually, I'm not those yeah. things. I'm, you know, and I am capable. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that everything was so I did, awesome. Everything I accomplished was to prove her wrong. I was determined. Yeah. Um, okay. And so in February of 17, mom dies. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, we were all prepared for it. Um, she had been diagnosed with ovarian cancer. She lasted about a year, which is expected for that kind of cancer. She actually lasted longer than a lot of people. I think she was being stubborn, but um, were there was there any reconciliation between you and her, or between you and the siblings, or anything while she, you know, throughout that year? By then, she had um, shunned my biological brother over an incident that didn't happen the way she said it happened. Um. My brother stood up for himself. She didn't like that. So she basically utterly disowned him, his wife, and his child. Of course, I wasn't going to stand for that. He was my brother. So I stayed in contact no matter how hard the others tried to tell me not to. And um, when he was the last one to, to hear that she was sick because she basically ordered everyone not to tell him she didn't want him involved but got it i was i was going to tell him anyway but someone beat me to it so yeah. he found out he he flew or drove from texas to california to to face her and she wow. um, the house she was staying at at the time she left when she heard he was coming, she left that house and went to another house. He followed her. He wasn't going to let her essentially die without them talking. So, he, right. yeah, he was determined, I think, because he, he had already been through a mother who had died of cancer and he didn't want to leave it that way. Yeah. So d- how did that conversation go? I don't know. It's, um, it happened between him and her, so nobody knows. Right. 
and he doesn't talk oh. about it. She wouldn't talk about it, but it did end in them uh, reconciling as much as a narcissist can reconcile. So he was kind of invited back into the family, kind of back into the fold. Of course, to me, he was never out of the fold. But at least, right. at least I I wouldn't be ordered not to talk about him or my niece. So it was nice that that stopped. Um, okay, and then you're you know when you know she she passed away mm -hmm. and you know things started to become more clear because once you're kind of out of the crazy washing machine of chaos. <laughs> Um, you know, when it stops, then you can actually kind of see things for what they are. What is it, um, you know, that you've learned? So I know that in 2019, it was like, that was like really kind of an eye-opening year for you. That's the year that you got in contact with your biological father. Mm -hmm. Um, um yeah, I, I had been knowledgeable about the narcissism. I think since 2016, I was actually stumbled on a Dr. Fellow episode. It happened to be playing when I was in the room. And I just kind of got enthralled in this idea of a mother who thinks she's never wrong. I had never mm -hmm. heard of narcissism before that. So I started studying yeah. that. So I knew before she died that she was a narcissist. And I was kind of collecting data. Uh, 2019 was significant also, um, because, like you mentioned, I did get in contact with my biological father. And I also took what is called the Myers-Briggs test, which is how you mm -hmm. figure out your personality. And I mm -hmm. tested, actually took it twice. I tested INTJ, which is a rare personality. It's more logical than emotional, which makes sense for me. But looking mm -hmm. back, I realized there was nothing wrong with me simply because I have this personality. They were looking at who I was and just deciding I was wrong from birth. I, mm -hmm. I, was, I never had yeah, a chance. Yeah, that sounds very painful. Because I shared a personality with my biological father someone they hated mm -hmm. and someone who did something terrible and they just associated right. me with that. Yeah. Um, and so you now, um, you know, you have your thread of truth and you've definitely kind of gotten into therapy more and really trying to heal those wounds as, as, um, that were inflected on you as a child. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to say? I mean, this is your platform. This is the, this is your story. This is the story that continues, that doesn't end today, that, you know, keeps going. Like, is there anything else like you want to say? Anything else, any dreams that you have, um, the hope you have for people that are listening? Is there anything that you wanted to say kind of to conclude this? Uh, I do want to say to my fellow victims, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. You're not alone. They try to make you feel alone and helpless. You're not. You gotta just okay. go out there and find that community because we are here for each other. Yeah. 
Yeah. Just being on that. It's a beautiful yeah. thing when people start talking because, you know, here's the thing, Kara, if you didn't speak, then no one would know. Um, and the secrets keep getting buried deeper and deeper. And so when you use your voice to speak truth, you are allowing other people to do the same and offering them hope that they too can get out of it. Um, so hope for the listener. And then, you know, this was a big, this is a big, big, big day for you to share this because this is not something that you've shared with a lot of people. How are you feeling after, after saying all this and knowing that it will be, you know, broadcast? Uh, it's empowering. I finally yeah. have my turn to speak after years yeah. of being silenced. So, well, I am like <laughs> ridiculously proud of yeah. you. I'm so dang proud of you. You have come so far and there is such a long, exciting future for you. And I'm just, I'm grateful that you decided to share. And my hope is that others will hear this and, and, and want to share too. And, and, you know, can kind of create this community of people who are talking about this, um, this crazy thing of growing up with the devil really, <laughs> in your house. Yeah. Um, that the more we talk about it, the more people start to understand. I, I also very much agree with you when we talk about narcissism, that it's definitely not what we all thought. You know, I remember growing up and reading Greek, Greek mythology and there was like narcissism, you know, and it was someone just who really enjoyed the look of themselves, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's not yeah. what we're talking about here. And that's the confusing part. So anyways, you know what, Kara, I'm just grateful for you and I can't wait for uh, everybody to hear your story and I can't wait to, you know, re-record in a year and hear what other things that you've done and two years and three years and how you've taken this awful, painful experience of the first half of or fourth of your life. I don't know how old you are, but I would <laughs> that yeah. you are going to be able to live and live free and live in truth. And for that, I am grateful. So it was so nice chatting with you and I hope that you, um, I hope that when you listen to this, you are are proud of yourself too. I hope so. 